0: In the Ultimate Irony, while discussing VOIP, we had problems with the VOIP. Yeah, there's some gaps in the conversation that you're about to hear, uh, just due to some technical difficulties that we just simply couldn't overcome. What we do have is very interesting, and I hope that it spurs some discussion and some thought on your end. This is the Veteran Wargamer. (laughs) Episode 49 in this episode, I'm speaking with Simon Tonkis, Mark Backhouse, Rich Clark, and Nick Skinner about Kriegspiel. Gents, how are you today? Yeah, good, thank you. Great, thanks. Very well, thank you, Jay. And I would be remiss if I didn't point out that uh, Nick and Rich recently ran an online Kriegspiel for Simon, Mark, myself, and gosh, about another ten other folks, uh, based in a semi-fictional World War II setting, over the uh, Discord app. Uh, now Nick has talked about that on a very on various other places, including uh, Henry Hyde's Battle Chat recently, and we're going to be getting getting into the guts of that here in a moment. But before we get too far, I am going to have to. Uh, get back to the old standby on the show of talking about uh, British confections. So, yes, it's a, it's another dunk gate uh, moment. And I got to say, guys, um, if you've been following Twitter, you know this weekend uh, is my brother's gaming weekend. We call it CJ3 or Christopher James J- uh, January Jamboree. And it's kind of an offshoot of my own Jay's July Jamboree. And I happen to pick up a pack of Jaffa Cakes.
1: Oh. Mm-hmm. oh. And
0: we'll, go, we'll go around the horn here and see what the, well, I guess we don't need to go into much more detail after the uh, moans of ecstasy, just the mention of them.
1: <laughs> they're rubbish, really. I mean, they're total rubbish, but they're good rubbish. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean uh, if the, if the if the orangey center in the middle has ever seen an orange I'd be most surprised it probably comes <laughs> out of the test tube but nevertheless it tastes
2: fabulous in a strange way
0: Oh yeah that, that's a good way of putting it it is fabulous in a very strange way And how
2: did you eat yours Jay did you nibble around the edges first and, or did you dive straight in to get the orangey bit
0: Oh right in right into it baby it's <laughs> I, when I was a kid, I used to just bite the orangey
1: segment off the top. I'd yeah. uh, put, sort of put my teeth about half an inch in from the edge and just bite off the orangey bit and then be left with um, the kind of spongy biscuit thing, which isn't really a biscuit, it's a sort of sponge, with a circle of, uh, of chocolate around the outside, which isn't the good bit, obviously. You've, I'd, I'd had the good bit first of all.
3: Mm-hmm. There's, there's quite a skill in being able to prise the chocolate off without damaging the orangey bit. That's, oh, that's, yeah. one that's my note.
4: technique. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> I would say just just duck in, just dive straight in. I'm actually sitting here with a lovely cup of, uh, lovely cup of PG Tips tea and two chocolate digestive biscuits. So if you hear me crunching away, and um, try not to get distracted.
1: I don't have <laughs>
0: It's to be
1: a fat Nick, isn't it?
2: Funny that.
0: <laughs> now, those would those be McVitie's?
2: Um, I don't know, actually. Possibly not. I think mm. it might be an own label looking
1: at Own them. label supermarket. Mm. They're okay. Very mm. nice. They're just as
2: just good. Just the job for a podcast.
0: Yeah. Fair enough. Well, let's go ahead and get cracking now. Simon, Nick, and Rich have all been on the show before, so I've already asked this question. But Mark, I do have to ask the same question I ask everyone else who comes on the show, and that is, what makes you a veteran war gamer?
4: Ah, well, um, I'm I'm 40 years old now, and I guess I first started with figures when I was about four or five. Um, okay. I was at a car boot sale, and I managed to get a, a big ice cream tub full of Airfix figures, and uh, I think from there, really, I, I started to recreate battles on tabletops without any dice. And then as I grew a bit older, I started playing um, lots of board games in in the 80s, so um, games like War at Sea and uh, Blood Bowl I played a lot of as a kid and a lot of, sort of Warhammer Fantasy games. And then um, since then, um, I've joined the club for the last 20 years or so. Um, I play all kinds of different games, and um, I write lots of articles for War Game Soldier Strategy as well, so I've written about 70 articles for them. Oh. So, um, yeah, I think I've, I've, I've game now for, I guess... Well, proper gaming the last 20, 25 years, maybe. But if you've been mm-hmm. playing with toy soldiers, well, it goes right way back to uh, to my childhood, really.
0: Okay. Outstanding. Yeah, that's that seems to be, you know, men of a certain age that's, uh, uh, you know, at least for Brits, it, it, it tends to start with uh, Airfix. So not, uh, not unexpected.
4: Yeah, you know. yeah. Well, I, I can distinctly remember having watched the uh, the 1970 uh, Waterloo film the day before mm-hmm. I brought the figures. And uh, oh, it's yeah. a really strong memory of me rooting for this big box at the car boot sale, and there were they were one penny each per figure. And in the end, I took mm-hmm. so long trying to work out which French figures I wanted to recreate the, the charge against the squares and that iconic scene that my mum said, oh, I tell you what, just buy the entire, entire tub of them. So I came home a very mm-hmm. happy boy. And for, for weeks afterwards, I kept setting them up into to squares and having cuirassier charging into them and things like that over and over again. Um, and I think that really got me hooked. Um, I was also uh, lucky that I had an uncle who lived um, in Ilford in, in Essex near to um, the Navwar war game shop, which was uh, yeah. one of the earliest war uh, game shops. And uh, he always used to send me um, little packs of figures through the post for Christmas and birthdays. And I, I can always remember getting uh, great excitement out of opening up the packets and finding out a, very, a diverse range of, of figures inside there, none of which could ever be formed into an army because they were always um, from different time periods and completely different types of troops. But I always enjoyed painting them up and um, trying mm-hmm. to think about what games they could turn into. So I, I've, I've been nurtured a little bit uh, in that sense there by the members of my family. But I'm strange in that I've also got quite a, a sort of anti-war family as well. My sort of family's traditionally all Quaker pacifists. Um, mm. we've, we've never really been very militarised at all on my dad's side of the family. So uh, I was always brought up to think that, you know, war wasn't allowed to be played. I was never allowed guns as a kid. But I suppose secretly maybe that spurned me on as uh, somebody who wanted to go out and learn more about war and, uh, and find out more about it. Maybe maybe that, just sort of, uh, that repression made me want to uh, get into gaming even more possibly.
0: Interesting. Interesting. And I would think at at some level, um, those of us who take a serious interest in military history might have uh, a slightly greater appreciation for the, you know, the true cost, um, to put it
4: it in a certain way. Indeed. In In fact, Richard... uh... Richard managed to traumatise me inside our Discord game by by putting me under all kinds of pressure with refugees, which we'll talk about later on. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, he's he's chuckling now and laughing. He doesn't realise how stressed I was after that event. There, uh, he, he mm-hmm. thinks I opened fire with a wanted abandon, but at the time it was a genuinely traumatic thing for me to do. You know. <laughs> mm. so, Amritsar
1: um, yeah.
4: two. <laughs> Pardon me, Richard.
1: I said Amritsar two and it, it Sartre, makes you realize yes, how, yes. Yeah, it makes yes, you realize
4: like how things like all, all over again yeah
1: <laughs> it, it, just, it, it, it does make you realize how things like that can uh, can just get out completely out of hand absolutely. and can happen absolutely uh, even you know despite the best will in the world and uh, the absolutely. situation just gets out of hand which is which I felt was worth exploring as part I of the. I thought it was really. excellent,
4: actually, Richard, but it did have me having a sleepless night the night afterwards, I should add. <laughs> Believe <it or> not. <laughs> good, 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 good. Yeah. Um, so, um, uh, what else have I been involved? I've also been involved quite a lot inside um, uh, doing a lot of Matrix game as well. And, and last year we had uh, a sort of a, an experiment to do with sort of playing online, didn't we, with uh, with, with Rich and Nick um, as well. So, we've been sort of experimenting with a few online things earlier inside the year, and I think. Um, Nick and Richard have really taken it a step further with this Discord game um, uh, a few weeks back.
0: Yeah, um, it's certainly opened my eyes to what's possible. Um, You know, I showed the Discord app and some of the notes to a uh, former OCS instructor who I've remained in touch with. And uh, if and when I get get around to doing one, he's definitely interested in doing it. and it's it's definitely something that it's definitely something I'd like to pursue more uh, for my own group here in the mostly in the states. I've I've got a Canadian who would be involved as well, and an American that's actually in Germany. So we're gonna have some of the same time issues that that we had with with our game here a couple weeks ago. But hmm. before we get too far into it, we really haven't talked about Kriegspiel all that much. And I was wondering, Nick and Rich, if you wouldn't mind just. Uh, hitting the high points on uh, what exactly Kriegspiel is.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, Nick, uh, who do you want to do this, you or me? Um, well, if, if you want to talk about um, Kriegspiel per se, I can talk about what you've been doing with Discord, maybe.
1: Oh, yeah, okay, that's a good idea. I'll talk about the general the historical background. Right, okay, fine. Well, throughout history, um, people have uh, tended to be countries' rulers, nations' rulers have tended to seek... Methods by which they can train their soldiers to be better in war, and by that, uh, obviously, we you know we 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 have drill and things like that that the uh, rank and file will be doing, but I'm talking here about stuff that would they would use to train their senior officers to be better generals, um, and if you look at chess um, and um, you know some of those other games that originated in the Orient, that they very much have their roots in conflict, be that. Out and out war will be that conflict involving political and military uh, aspects. Um, well, this um, this was something that uh, went on throughout history, and uh, in uh, in Germany, um, the uh, there was a lot of work done throughout the eighteenth um, century, which really didn't come to very much, um, and the rise of its family um, uh, produced. Uh, a set of rules going back to, uh, prior to the Napoleonic Wars, which involved lots of tiles, bits of, um, almost like terrain tiles. Let's say, imagine a two-inch square terrain tile. So you build up your battlefield of these. You know, you could have a hill on one. You could have a river running across the table. So it was almost a variation of chess, but with, with each square being a different type of terrain or, or and and the whole thing joining together. So rivers obviously didn't just occur in one square, but ran continuously through numerous squares and so on. Um, however, by uh, in 1824, um, the son Reiswitz had decided that the best way to, to go about this, having had his experiences in the Napoleonic Wars as a junior officer, was actually to play a game on a map, because that is what commanders use. And so in order to replicate that, he created a system of um, uh, troop blocks, which in a way, uh, the easiest way to think of them is uh, as little metal rectangles with an early version of NATO symbols on. Obviously, they weren't; they didn't use the NATO symbols, but you could tell from each block whether they were infantry or cavalry or engineers, whether they were hussars or cuirassiers. And then you had smaller blocks which would represent things like outposts or you know company-sized detachments. And that therefore allowed you to use your your map as we would use a map today when making military plans or or displaying on the map where units were at any point in time in a battle. But of course the, the great thing with the game that, that was produced was that these pieces could be moved about. Um, now the way <clears throat> the game was played was not with me sitting across the table from you and the way we would do with a game of chess, but was played with a red team and a blue team. Now, it may be that the red team was just me and the blue team was just Nick, um, and the umpire was in between uh, telling us what we knew. Now, the premise was that there would be three maps. The red team would have their own map, the blue team would have their own map, and the umpire would have their map. The red team could see where their troops were or where they believed they'd been sent to, Um, and the blue team could see where their troops were, but only the umpire could see where everybody everybody was. Um, As blue troops appeared on the red troops' map, you would get a gradual unveiling of where your opponent was Um, until, obviously, the two armies made contact and, and the battle was fought. But to be fair, the, the, the main system in Creeksville was not about the fighting of the battle, but it was about the initial stages whereby you were uh, uh, utilizing uh, your, your scouts or your outposts to try and identify where your enemy was, to outmaneuver them so that once contact was made, it was generally fairly clear. Um, uh, who was going to win the conflict because one side had got their fastest with the mostest to, quote, mm-hmm. Bedford Forest. Um, right. uh And th- this game had been developed and presented to General von Muffling, who had been the Prussian um, attaché, um, I can't remember if he was the attaché to the Duke of Wellington at Waterloo or whether he was... I think he was. I think he was a Prussian attaché to Wellington. By that time, he was chief of the Prussian general staff and this game was presented to him. He was extraordinarily dubious about any game being able to replicate war. But once he saw how it was played, uh, he, he the, the famous quote is, this, this is not a game, this is training for war, this must be... Uh, rolled out throughout the entire army. And it was, Mm -hmm. and the the, the Prussian army took it very, very seriously because one of the the great things that it could be used for was for training officers one or two levels below their pay grade. So if their boss was wounded or died in battle, uh, they were then capable of taking the reins um, because they had had that practice of controlling larger forces on a map um mm-hmm. so it was very much seen as the the all-round training method that should be used and it and was recognized as being very much one of the reasons why bismarck's wars were so successful for prussia because their leaders had were just more um <coughs> capable due to this experience of playing these map games and being in a position of command on a regular basis and making decisions with imperfect information, because one of the things you find with a wheel game is that uh, when you receive a report from an outpost five miles away saying Red's army is in Oldburg in the town square, you have to take into account the fact that the messenger who's arrived with that message has just ridden five miles. How long has it taken him to do that? Did he fall off his horse? Um, you know, did he have to stop because he got a stone in the horse's shoe, and therefore, how fresh is that information? And this is very much an issue that is pertinent today um, mm-hmm. on the modern battlefield. I mean, one of the one of the issues that we see uh, today uh, is uh, information overload with all the helmet cameras and the communications, and it's a case now of trying to ascertain not only. Uh, not how fresh is that information, but which bit of information is pertinent, which bit of information do you act upon. And that was very much the case then, because the information that was coming in was always slightly stale, and you then had to make judgments based on that imperfect information. So fabulous training taken up by the British Army who immediately couldn't be bothered to do it because they were too busy hunting foxes and shooting badgers and crucifying <laughs> otters and things like that, um, which is fair enough. I can fully understand that's probably more interesting. Um, and, um, but, but it was also taken up by a number of other armies over the world, but nobody ever did it that seriously, um, mm-hmm. apart from troops who were heavily influenced by... Um, By the Germans. So the Japanese actually had a great history of using war games to predict what would happen, which is one of the reasons why they attacked Pearl Harbor. Having played it through in numerous war games, that became what they felt was the obvious thing to do.
0: Um, Yeah, there's a there's a pretty interesting history of the Japanese use of war games in World War Two. And... um, I don't want to get too far deep into that, mm. but it it, yeah. it does. It's it's worth noting that the Japanese had an issue where mm. the people running the game uh, would go ahead and make some type of decision based on the model that they've established, but some higher up who is participating would override that, yeah, leading to uh, to faulty uh, conclusions.
1: Well, funnily so. enough, one of the reasons Kriegsbill became popular in Prussia was the fact that um, uh, after 1871, the Kaiser used to hold the annual army manoeuvres where he controlled one army and another general controlled the other army. And the only problem was the Kaiser had to win every time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, the, the Kriegsbill, which the Kaiser didn't get involved in, was seen as, as the uh, ideal training method. And the Germans were still obviously using using this well, right the way through in military terms through to today, but, you know, the day before D-Day, um, the German commanders were um, assembled some 60 miles to the south um, at mm-hmm. Reims uh, fighting a-, a war game based on what would happen if we were invaded in Normandy. Right. So, uh, you know, it was a tool which they continued. the Germans have continued to use. In Germany, it's now called Planspiel rather than Kriegspiel because, obviously, Germans don't like to... Um, um, be as militaristic as they once did for probably quite mm-hmm. very sensible reasons.
0: To put it, to put it lightly. I mean, it's not, well, not lightly, but yeah mm. it's, it's a great, I can see the the value in it. Um, in fact, I've, I've got my, I spoke to my company commander uh, about it. We had uh, the weekend after we, we had our final session, of the mm. um I had drill with my guard unit and I talked mm. to my company commander about it and Real briefly, and you know, he's he's all for me running it as a as a team building exercise for the training cadre this summer. Yeah. So yeah. I'll be gearing up for that. Um, we did have some brief technical difficulty, but it looks like Nick is back. Nick, are, can we hear you?
2: I'm back. Yeah, I'm back. I I, I don't know exactly what happened there, but um, Richard was in mid flow when all of a sudden I lost.
0: Okay. well, it's so, unfortunate because he's... Uh,
2: I don't quite know where you got to, but I'm guessing that you've covered everything <laughs> that you need to cover about creatures.
0: i that in about 10 minutes of him going on and on about how terrible a person you are. Was, was <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've got in quickly. <laughs> I think, I, think um, I don't know if he would
2: have said this or not, but I think it's an important thing to to add, or if he's already said it, to sort of restate it, that when we play war games on the table, we're only really focusing on the battle mm-hmm. itself, aren't we? And, and the key thing about Kriegsbill is it enables you to, to uh, take a high-level view. You're looking at the entire strategy of the campaign, you know things like reconnaissance, uh, your logistics, communications, the whole way you look at the strategic thinking of the way you're fighting mm-hmm. the battle comes into play. Uh, in a way that we don't normally experience when we're pushing toy tanks or toy uh, soldiers around the table, I'm sure he would have no, said that. Know. So I just, I just, I said more interesting
4: stuff.
0: Yeah, of course. <laughs> well, it, it's it's worth noting that Two Fat Lardies uh, a few years ago did did uh, publish the English translation mm-hmm. of the 1824 von Reiswitz uh Kriegspiel rules and it, it's very interesting reading to say the least uh you also have a book of scenarios uh, a number of different maps uh, high resolution uh, scans of maps that are suitable for uh, printing in large format as well as the 1862 update hmm. uh, so if if this you know this the links will be in the show notes if you're listening so don't don't worry about that you you will be able to get those um and actually uh the now the the cd is the 1824 rules the uh, scenario book and the map or the the meckle map correct that's correct yeah 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 that's that's what i got in my hot little hands about a year ago hmm. and over time have been uh I've been chipping away at trying to get, get my head around them. And it's, it's a very different, well, first off, I mean, just like any other book written in that period, it's, it's going to be a little bit foreign to, to our eyes as, as a war games book. Uh, but it's worth noting that, you know, he does explain the rationale for devising the system and how you go about working it. So, um, now, were there w- – was this a translation that you had that um, you had commissioned or was this a, a pre existing translation?
1: There was a guy uh, – when I was 21 – no, I didn't commission it. When I was 21, 20, something like that, a guy called Bill Leeson uh, did a translation and he advertised it in um, uh, the Hobby Press at the time and sold it. And um, it, uh, it went out of print because it was um, – it's it's you know it's niche specialist interest and I uh, w- I bought it at the time and I always I felt it was such an important document that I wanted to um, see it back in print. So I approached him and said, "Look, Bill, you know this is. Uh, it's a shame that this isn't available. Um, would you allow us to to reprint it?" And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we, we met and had chats about that. And uh, in the end, uh, he, he said, yeah, go ahead. I'm happy that you've got the best interest of Creeksville at heart. Um, and we did. And it nearly bankrupted us because mm-hmm. it, it's sad to say that your average wargamer isn't particularly interested in, um, uh, in going quite as far off-piste as these rules seem to, to appear. Uh, to appear. Um, and I think one of the reasons for that is that, as you say, I mean, obviously it's written in the language of another, of another era um, and uh, to pick it up and run with it can be quite difficult. What's, what's a lot better is if you can find somebody to play a game and you then take part in that and then the scales tend to drop from the eyes and things do start to make a bit more sense. But yeah, uh, yeah uh, we we felt it really important to uh, to keep the whole thing uh, in production in one form or another. It's only in PDF version now, I'm afraid. But frankly, the maps you really want the maps in PDF version. Well, uh, some of, actually some of the maps are available in hard copy, but. We do find that PDF is more preferable because if you're going to run a game, you need to run off three copies of them. So you might as well buy the the, the PDF of the rules and then get copies run off at a local print store or um, or whatever. Or you know, if you've got a, an A3 large size, a large size printer, then you can do it at home. Um, but yeah, so it, but it's it is important, and I would I would love to add more um, to the um, body of work that's available on Creeksfield because I do think it's very important and I also uh, very important from a historical point of view that we recognize the links from the games that we play today through to that but I also feel that uh, it's it's a really interesting concept you don't have to use the Hors- horse and musket era clearly the game that we played was very much um, probably 1944 1943 1945 setting and that that worked that worked well using the principle of the the Kriegspiel system mm-hmm. rather than using the specific mechanisms.
2: Right. Yeah, and we and we've done them for other periods as well, haven't we? But it is, you know, all uh, the family tree of wargaming, you know, takes all roads lead back to Crecy So it's a uh, for me, it's a fantastic place to go back there and to and to enjoy those games. Whether you're doing horse and musket, whether you're doing a, a medieval Kriegspiel Bill, or World War Two, or even I don't know, you could probably you could probably throw it out into the future and do some future based Crecy Bills. I'd imagine. You know, it's it the principle, the, the way of approaching the game uh, is consistent across all. Things. yeah
0: that's and that's really something that i'd like to explore a little bit more um, as as we move forward um but specifically nick if you don't mind um you've talked about how uh fellow you know mutual friend uh michael hobbs introduced you to the discord app um and since we use the discord app most recently and you talked about it in, in your article in the Lard Magazine 2018, which is a heck of a good value. I must, I gotta say, if you haven't picked it up yet, I highly recommend it. Uh, But um, so far, using the Discord app, how many, how many creep have you run with Discord, Nick? Uh,
2: So the one that you uh, played with us on was the third one that we'd done, and we'd done them on the monthly basis, pretty much. I think Simon's been in all three of them, I think. Yeah. Um, and we started with, we started with a very small game. Uh, and, and we decided that we'd set them in world mm-hmm. war two, uh, because that just seemed more fun to do that. And, uh, we started with a very small game. So I don't know about a company, inventory aside. Then we went to a slightly bigger game next time round. And then for the one we did most recently, oh. of course, we, we went to a division size game. We sort of jumped in with both feet and, uh, Uh, lots of pluses and minuses about that but uh, we we really stretch the system to its limits Um, but yeah I was introduced to discord by by Mike Hobbs I I was I was uh, looking at it through through slightly different eyes at first I was looking through um, uh, wearing another hat of mine which is working with with businesses to do scenario exercises and um, we do quite a lot of matrix games which I know Mark is is keen on as well and I use matrix game principles in organizations to help them do decision making and say you know what are the three reasons uh why you know you're going to take this course of action what are the three reasons why it's going to work and that's really helpful because it um it helps us to uh, to explore the assumptions that we have about the world around us so if i believe something will work on a commercial basis you know i'm going to i'm going to launch my product in north america and it's going to succeed because we've got the best we've got the best distributors in north america we've got this this and this uh, and then after that after that sort of strategy game finishes you can say well hang on a minute were these assumptions actually true have we really got a good distributive network in america that kind of thing so uh, and we did those exercises with businesses and the feedback that i was getting generally was they loved Love it really, really good, but uh, because we're kind of paper based and a bit old fashioned like that, they wanted to do something that was a bit more high tech. And somebody said, You know, what about these team apps? Is there something we could use on these team apps that would allow us to um, run these exercises over the internet online? Uh, you know, in, in a way that didn't involve pen and paper, it was a bit more technical because people expect things to be technical these days, uh, even though the humans uh, still have a part to play in it. So I looked at that app, and Mike pointed me towards Discord, as you say, um, and it's uh, a nice, simple method. I mean, it just it's a way of replicating the rooms that you need for a mm-hmm. Kriegspiel. At risk of repeating what I said in that article in Live Magazine, if I was hosting a Kriegspiel at my house, uh, you know, you'd know, you all come round to my house, and you, we, we'd meet up in the, in the lounge and have coffee and say hello, and then we'd split you into your teams, and the, the red team would go into the into the dining room and the blue team would go into the spare bedroom and then somebody else who was a blue sub commander would go down the garden in the shed uh, and you know we split everybody up and we you know have all this wonderful use all the territory available to us to to put various people in that Um, and of course you have a room where the umpires were where the maps were etc and Of course, the the, the great thing about that is, you know, you all come to my house. We have a fantastic time together uh, and we play a cruise build. The downside is you could be the guy sitting in the shed for for two days um, while nothing happens. But uh, generally, everybody's together. If we move that online, then uh, we get this chat room facility, which means that actually we can replicate the different rooms in my house by using different chat rooms on the server. uh, So we can have a red channel and a blue channel, etc., um and and a, what we call the coffee lounge. So everybody assembles in the coffee lounge. Um and then we allocate people to teams from there. And uh the game plays out using that using that process. I mean it it's not very complicated in that regard. We just simply use it to replicate that structure. But it does mean that um you know I could be sitting in the UK uh and playing the game. We'd have Benito who was playing from Spain. We've had a couple of guys from Canada in the last game. A guy in Seattle was in the last game. Uh, yourself, Jay, was in the last game. So, apart from the obvious tricky aspects of of, uh, of time zones, uh, it means that you can really, really throw the game out there to a to a, a different populace, to a, a different group of gamers around the globe. Really, mm-hmm. literally, around the globe.
0: Now, now, aside from the the wide net that you're able to that you're able to cast for your uh, for your players um has discord changed the way you look at Kriegspiel as an exercise um case in point you know being able to uh be broken down into rooms like that uh with your communications issues you know if you know there for a while you know the only way we could get information back and forth was through notional runners and whatnot uh does the use of Chris of the discord app change that in any way or put a different spin on it that you didn't anticipate?
2: It's a, it's a, it's a good question. I, the, uh, the internet is wonderful. And of course with discord, uh, it's a text channel. So people are typing messages into each other. So it's like a rolling, you know, the screen of latest messages is always scrolling up as people type their, their messages. Mm-hmm. Um, Discord also has available on it a voice option, which does allow people to speak to each other. So, uh, what you probably won't have appreciated when we played the crease bill that we did most recently is that whilst the players were communicating and we were communicating as umpires with the players using the typing text facility, uh, Richard and I had a voice channel open and we were able to speak to each other. Uh, and and that and that's helped. Has it changed the way that I've I've looked at wargaming? I think the jury's still out on that. To be honest, it's um. There's, it's certainly a great way of doing Kriegspiel and for bringing big games together. Uh, and I think we're still really dabbling with it to see how it works. So, I mean, you know, I know at some, at some point you're going to throw the conversation out to the guys who are playing the game and they'll give you their perspective on that. But in terms of managing it as an umpire, um, it requires organisation and structure in a way that perhaps a bit at my house... Uh, doesn't necessarily need because you've got to have very tight control of who's in what channel, and who can see what bits of information, etc. And part of that is just learning about the way the app works. Mm-hmm. The app's been very good, and um, so far the ability to share digital images has been fantastic using the app um, and tagging messages with people. So people, you can tag people, and that person receives a notification to say there's a message for them to act upon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's really, really helpful. And that's helpful not only in the game itself, but also in the planning phase. Uh, because um, in the game that we played, we play online uh, for three hours, everybody on together. But prior to that is a planning stage in the game where... Uh, people are, are taking perhaps a week I mean last time we used a week uh, for more than a week possibly for people to put their plans together and message each other and build their plans over that period so that when we come together for the game everything is ready to go mm-hmm.
1: I think, well, Can I just jump in here? I think one of the issues is that mm-hmm. we refer to the bit where we resolve it all as the game in fact I think in Tree yeah. spill- you have to look at the whole procedure as the game. The planning is as much part of the game as the resolution. Uh, Three-hour period.
0: Yeah, oh, yeah. absolutely. And, yeah. Well, I'm sure
2: Simon. I'm sure Simon will be able to say more about that because he was, you know, his planning certainly for the blue team last time round uh, was was the major part of the game.
3: Uh, yeah, in fact, in fact, I didn't actually take off or arrive at the battle in the game, but, but I spent a week planning it, so that that was my enjoyment. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, now Simon, you have participated uh, in three so far uh, of these discord Creche spiels. Um, how has the progression in complexity been as a player?
3: Uh, I, I think it was a gentle progression at the start, and but the last one was a a step change and being thrown into a swamp without knowing what I was doing. Uh, I, it's I, as games. I mean, Nick, I think I think he might have stepped it up a level every time, did he? Platoon, then to company, then to division. I'm just trying to remember that's right. Games. Yeah,
2: we took it up. Uh, we took it up level each time. We just notched it up, and partly that was because of the number of players mm-hmm. to get more people involved, but also. In some ways, you can make it as big as you want it to be, can't you? We talked about Kriegsbill. Rich and I were talking the other day about, um, you know, imagine an online game where each person is playing the part of one paratrooper who's landed in Normandy, trying to connect up with other paratroopers. You could play that mm-hmm. as a Kriegsbill one-to-one, or you could do a huge army game. So it doesn't really matter. But, yeah, we've stepped it up each time.
3: Mm. And, yeah. I, and I think um, I think that helped as well because getting used to the Discord app and the way it works and the way you interact with people on other continents and and online is uh, it it needs a bit of getting used to and uh, for you Jay this was your first game maybe you find that uh, if this had been my first one of these I'd have found it just mind boggling Um, but it but it held the the sense of being in a chat room and learning some things about it learning maybe how to do some things about the um, the the map room and how to control that I think we we had a big learning in this game that voice chat makes a big difference we'd Mm -hmm. only ever done text before uh, and I think uh, an event for the blue team that I felt was a bit of a watershed was when uh, about two days in, we had a voice conference. Mm-hmm. And for me, it all started to gel because we could interact on our plan and understand what our concerns were. That was something we hadn't used in previous games. And I think in future games, I'd, I'd, I'd very early on go to use some voice chat facilities where you need that for the better communication and the uh, the more creative start of the planning in the early stages.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think that's very important, Simon. And it's a good point because we... Um, uh generally we close the voice channels down and say actually we want this to be done by text because that leaves a chain of um of of information that we can follow and act on but you're right those voice channels that you had open to you made a huge difference so i think what we would definitely do for future games is allow each team to have a couple of those voice well they're almost like conference calls for Mm -hmm. want of a better word which is Everybody knows how ghastly conference calls are, <laughs> but um, it, it kind of works to get people together and to share their ideas. So definitely, we saw the benefit in that, and we will be doing more of that. It was it was quite a uh, difficult job that we put uh, we put on you though, really, because uh, we had blue and red. Now, the um, just for those people who uh, won't know what the game was, we uh, blue was a, a an airborne division, so we tasked blue with a planning an airborne landing. Uh, you can think Market Garden if you want to. Uh, we tasked Blue with planning an airborne landing for an entire division uh, to capture some key bridges across the river. And um, so Blue had an awful lot of planning and preparation to do before the game. Red didn't really have that. We just gave Red their defensive positions. And so um, their planning was was much um more of a lower level so mark not being around was actually perfect for that because it gave us a brigadier on the spot who people you know he couldn't really do much because he wasn't there so so we knew that red were going to be fairly um uh, controllable from the uh, from the umpire's perspective that red would actually the red situation would not change dramatically in the planning process um yeah, well, there weren't that many. <laughs> see, you know, this is the, this is why sometimes umpiring these things is 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 very entertaining because you, I know the red team they were holding out for the tanks to come and help them. Now the truth is that there were ten, there were ten light tanks coming down that road. So uh, yeah, yeah, it would have all helped, but it might not have been quite the cavalry coming to the rescue. But it was, but you know, would have it would have felt like that. And, and that's the thing you see; it creates a feeling of these games, uh, which is. Uh it's so it's very real about that. You don't you, there's there's a fog of confusion. You know, Jay, um I know that um you know, you said that one of the forts that your guys attacked, you know, it was destroyed by air power. Well we just de- actually that's just the word that you know, that's just the word that somebody says. Oh we destroyed them. What does that really right. mean? It means that they attacked it and they blew a few bits off it. Um and somebody used the word it was destroyed and so everybody else says it was destroyed it becomes the <clears> truth <throat> uh and, and i love the way that these things happen in creakspiel is that the communication the words of the people you make a massive difference to what people believe and you get these you start working yeah
3: for me because i was the still still back in blighty or wherever i was the first 45 minutes where the planes are in the air and i didn't know what was happening 45 minutes of real time. I've never been so tense in my life. You know, there's that scene uh, in the dam Busters where they're all sat by the phone waiting for the phone to ring and the phone rings and he picks it up who the code was. It was like that. There's me and there was Dale, who's my um, uh, chief of staff, who's a fantastic guy, Dale, and we had nothing to do and we were just so tense and so worried because we didn't know what was happening at all, knowing that, you know, Jay was landing on top of forts, and Fraser was having underpant events and things like that. But, <laughs> but we knew nothing, and we were just in this deathly silence. It was, which I guess was quite realistic for um, for remote commanders as well. So it's fantastic,
2: and, that, and that's why Discord is really good because you can have these guys sitting in the, you know, they're back out in the in the channel where nothing is really happening, and then all of a sudden you can create a new channel, a new channel that puts them in touch with. One of their commanders on the ground, and so they can now have a dialogue with. In this instance, it was Fraser, wasn't it? Yeah. Fraser opened a line of, got his radio working, and got in contact back with divisional headquarters. And then that was Simon's only way of finding out what was going on on that battleground. And of course, Fraser could only see a tiny part. And uh, but it was really uh, the- Jay. Didn't the- tell you God. more about
1: that because it wasn't Fraser's, Fraser's radio, was it, Jay? Nope. <laughs> it was Jay's radio, which meant the two of them who happened to bump into each other were kind of then joined at the hip because they only had one means of, of communication.
0: Yeah. And and that was one of the well, fascinating think, think parts about the, the entire exercise was how mm. using the different chat rooms within the discord app allowed that to happen. Um, I, I did write a, a blog post about my experience and uh I'll have a link in the show notes for anyone who wants to go ahead and take a look at it. It, it very much was a matter of, uh, you know, I had my battalion or my brigade combo net set up and that's where I was getting messages from Nick and Rich about reports from my battalion. And then I also had a division net up that where I was able to talk to eventually Benito and, and, and Sean and, you know, everyone else that was on there and then <laughs> I I get a message saying that you know the the first para the first para brigade commander can be seen limping towards your position. So I said, Hey, you know <laughs> yell that I'm over here and sure enough, uh uh Fraser got put into my chat room and we were able to talk back and forth with one another and I got the division you know I got the message or I got the com comnet back up to uh back up to higher headquarters. And it, that was really one of the really interesting ways, or one of the really interesting things about using Discord was being able to fine-tune communication. Well, <laughs> ironically enough, fine-tune communication problems in a way that I don't think you could in a face-to-face environment without some sort of artificial, okay, you can't, okay, Mark, you can't talk to, you can't talk to Jay and Fraser, but you can talk to Benito in the same room, you know, that sort of thing. And um, I guess there's nothing stopping us from sending messages via Twitter or Facebook or whatnot, but definitely would not have been in the spirit of the game. Uh, You know, Simon, what, what are your thoughts on, on how the communications worked or didn't work, or I guess you only had what I told you, I guess, and what I was able to get back on once I got the the big the big voice going.
3: Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it, it was extremely limp, so it was you, mostly via Fraser, telling me things that was then going back, and we had some sort of communication to Benito, who was commanding the other brigade, but I'm not quite sure how that was happening, uh, and almost nothing to the artillery. So that, that felt really quite realistic in the mm-hmm. sort of the fog of war and the communications um, in the battle. Uh, I think before the battle, in the planning phase, it was in, it's interesting, you still do get some fog of war, but you also get a fog of discord, if that's a way to say it, which is more a feature of the tool. So uh, in events where we were trying to plan, where we would actually have been in the same room, the tool is probably not realistic in some ways in communi- in helping with the communications. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you get into uh, any events where you are remote from the other people, um, in sort of the towards the end of the planning stage or in the battle, it feels really. I I've never been in a battle but it feels really realistic um in how it it limits your ability and limits your um, your vision and limits your uh, your passing messages on so it limits the accuracy of what you're passing on as well because you're trying mm-hmm. you try to act very quickly you're trying to bridge things and you get it wrong when you do that and then people interpret it in a different way so as it's right. a battlefield thing it feels very realistic
0: yeah and it's it's definitely I think it's one of those things where you know, like I said earlier, any, you know, any face-to-face type thing would take a a, a lot of, I don't want to say cajoling, but a lot of uh, artificiality uh, to establishing certain rules for who can talk. And, you know, in certain circumstances, you know, where you've got a a definite chain of command, you can, uh, you know, put people in different rooms, but, you know, like like uh, Nick has said earlier, you start to run out of space, and it becomes pretty inconvenient to continue doing that. So, you know, it's it's definitely. I would like to. I would like to see how using other or how this could work for other eras, um, specifically Discord, because um, I, I, I just think there's a there's a lot of potential there especially in uh, in those eras where communications were not instant and you know and and that leads me to a question I've got about how this one was run. Uh, I can imagine you know you know putting a message from a subordinate you know as an umpire putting a message to a subordinate into like a spreadsheet where you've got you know just okay message sent on this time this is the message this is who it's going to and this is when it needs to be delivered or should be delivered. Yeah. um i i can imagine that being a quite yeah. a bit of a headache but i mean surely there's some type of a some type of a system that one could devise to to make that happen um now
2: yes there is That's right. now
0: how was how was actually running the thing the actual the three hour <laughs> the three hour tour the the, the three hours of of crazy back and forth and people screaming for artillery and you having to deal with something else. Cause I got to think that just simply trying to process all the requests for information and support and whatnot from the players, you know, just simply managing that was a large, you know, was in large part responsible for some of the delays we had.
2: Yeah, that's that's true. I mean, we've got uh with that game that we played, we had two umpires, and I don't know how many players we had, 13, 15, or maybe less than twelve anyway, enough. Enough players to keep the two umpires very, very busy. Uh and with the Discord channel, yeah, you know, we can leave certain things, you know, players to chat to each other. That's absolutely fine. So when you've got your radio net open to um, you know, if you're on the ground, you've got your radio net open to divisional headquarters. We don't really care what you're saying to division headquarters as umpires. We don't really care about that. What we want to know is, is what decisions you're making on the back of that. And of course, uh, you're having to make those decisions based on imperfect information. Uh, and, and classically, players will ask umpires for more information. Well, some some players will ask umpires for more information. And, it, and, it, and I guess it's like the sort of real Battlefield Command situation. You know how much how much information do you need before you can make your decision? So some players make decisions much faster than others uh, and tell us what they're going to do. Some players ask more questions. And as umpires, we'll need to be able to respond to both. Uh, but of course, we only give them what they can, what they be aware of as individuals wherever they are on the battlefield. So we can't give them an accurate overview. You know, when they say, how's the battle going? Where's my second company? We don't reply second company is, you know, we don't tell them what they are. We say, you haven't heard from second company in the last 10 minutes, the last you heard, they were, you know, down by the, down by the museum or whatever. Um, so we have to give them, have to be very aware of who is aware of what and what information therefore can we pass on to players. And that is, I think, something you learn um, over time with Crease Beal. So, would you agree with that, Rich? It's something that you, uh, once you've been, once you've umpired a number of these, you, you you become aware of the kind of information or the way you need to pass that information back to players.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's right. Uh, I mean, I, I would say that whilst we've highlighted the fact that Nick's now run three games uh, using Discord. Uh, over the last mm. 20 years, Nick and I have been involved in an awful lot of um run in a more traditional sense. So when it comes to umpiring, um, you do just generally get a feel for what what you should be doing in terms of presenting information, because it you, you know a cursory look at the map will tell you where the person who's asking the question is, and where the unit where where B Company is, and then you know you 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 actually say well you know the last you heard they were making their way towards towards bridge tom um, and you haven't heard anything since but you can see smoke in that direction because you're in a slightly elevated position you can hear small arms fire to the north but you're not sure whether that's you know tom or whether that's at the airfield but you can hear it in that direction uh, and you provide them with um, Snippets of information from which they can draw their own conclusions, rather than giving them a black and white yes or no. You know, they are at grid reference one, two, three, four, five, six. You you, you don't do that. You provide them with information that they would. You feel that they would have.
4: Mm-hmm. I, I think it's interesting um, that um, you can obviously only give a, a finite amount of information, whereas maybe a, a commander on the spot would be able to make some certain assumptions. Um, from what they could physically see in a little bit more detail maybe and have maybe more of an intuitive idea of what's going on. And yeah, I think, I think that, that's
1: true, uh, but, but e- equally the chaos of the battlefield means that there, there could be a negative side to that, whereas if you're sitting in with a big mug of cocoa, nobody's shooting at you. So sure. well, there's this pros and cons to that. yeah. Sure
4: sure sure but i mean i i can't understand how unless we we physically recreated the entire experience with thousands of men uh, there would be a way of actually yeah. getting that sort of that visual eyesight um uh, and the, the sounds and audio and uh, and everything set up yeah. with it you know it would be impossible to recreate i think at the moment with our current technology um but i, I think it worked yeah. very well actually having just that limited amount of information coming through um uh, and, and forced you to make key decisions just based around what you had um quickly mm-hmm. yeah it worked well
0: yeah, I I will definitely agree with that. Um, and one of the the hardest parts uh, for me was working off such limited information and really trying to figure out. Okay, you know, Rich, when you said, or Nick, when whoever mentioned it about uh, a particular fort being destroyed, and I was sure, okay, that's Fort Four, the most the most eastern fort, and then. There was a report of enemy troops be evacuating a fort and leading my troops out of it uh, as prisoners of war. And I wanted, you know, in my head, I had been thinking, okay, Fort Four is a lost cause. They're, you know, we've already gotten reports back to them that from them that they're out of ammo, they're holed up in a bunker, you know, things are looking pretty bleak for them. And then I hear, you know, Fort Three is being evacuated and. I'd assigned uh, objective names of bashful, grumpy, dopey, and sleepy <laughs> to the to the Forts, and I, I cl- asked for clarification. You know, is, is it you said it you said it was dopey, but I you know, but I thought sleepy was was the one that was in trouble. Is it dopey or is it sleepy? And 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 Nick said, no, it's dopey, dopey. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, it's it it was a very very uh emotionally i don't want to say draining but a very emotionally charged exercise for me and and it it wasn't anything that i think i've experienced in a war game session in a long time um because you know you spent i think because you you do spend all this time planning and trying to figure out okay i need X amount of forces on these objectives to have a really good chance of, of taking them. And you provide your initial plan to, to Simon and, and Dale, who is the chief of staff. And they come back with, well, we don't quite have that many gliders to take you. You know, you're going to have to, you're going to have to do something else or, you know, maybe give up a couple of gliders. And then you're <clears throat> pairing your force back and really taking a look at how you're doing it. And I, I, and I, I'm not going to pretend that I knew, you know, it's not like I knew who the battalion commanders were. You know, it's not like I gave them names or anything, but you you did, or at least I did realize that, you know, you know, this is, this is, these are the types of decisions that these men have had to make at the time and have to make now. And it's, and it is very concerning when you don't hear from, from basically a company size force that's on your initial drop and you don't hear from them and you don't hear from them and you don't hear from them. And then all of a sudden you get a radio message saying out of ammo, hold up in a bunker, God save the King. And that was very, very emotionally charged for me. Um, not because I'm a Royalist by any means. I mean, I mean, we fought two <laughs> wars so we wouldn't have to worry about royalty in our country anymore, but, uh, <laughs> it's it was very well done and very well crafted um, whether by accident or by design it it definitely achieved an effect that i had not experienced in a in this in in my recreational wargaming i'll put it that way
1: can I can i just chip in there because i i was the one who added the god save the king on on that message the reason for that is that what you try and do is you try and make gamers feel that they are there and that these are real people that they're mm-hmm. Um, But can I also tack on to the end of that question you're saying about the experience that you've had doing the game? Now, imagine you were in a situation where that was a planning Kriegspiel. You're in the, in the military. That was a planning Kriegspiel. Mm-hmm. and At the end of it, somebody then said to you, right, we think this is viable. We'd like you now to plan this exercise and do it for real. Do you feel that the experience you had of taking part in the Kriegsbill would make you better prepared as, uh, let's say, whatever your rank would be if you were heading this operation, Major General or whatever? Do you think that you would be better prepared as a two-star general to actually do this operation for real, having undertaken the game?
0: Oh, possibly. Um I mean, there's, there's a lot that goes into planning a divisional operation. And, and we, in reality, I mean, we barely did planning, you know, commensurate with a, with a platoon size operation, to be honest with you. But, uh, you know, it it is definitely one of those situations where if, if they were doing this type of exercise prior to, you know, I would hope that they were running it, running a, a couple of different courses of action through the through the process so Mm, to speak mm. and really trying to figure out you know what is the best course of action given the information we have at the moment and you know i I alluded to it earlier with the with the japanese uh, war gaming uh, in late 1941 you know Mm. a lot of their war gaming insisted that if they take this course of action that they took at pearl harbor everything's going to be hunky dory and then they hmm. or a couple of possibilities for wake and at some point a junior officer said you know what if what if we don't take out their aircraft carriers at pearl harbor so oh that's not going to be an that's not going to be an issue and well <laughs> they didn't take <laughs> out any <clears throat> they didn't take out any of the uh aircraft hmm. carriers at pearl harbor as we all know and then not too long after that was the Battle of Midway, and we got some pretty solid revenge on them because we sunk four of the five aircraft carriers that were cool. at Pearl Harbor. Mm-hmm. So, and again, you know, because of the uh, undue command influence, is a term that's being sent or, or that's being used quite often here in the United States military recently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, if you're going to participate in this type of exercise on a professional basis, mm. you have to go into it with good faith and you have to let the people running it, run it. Um, if there are any military folks listening and I, and the, the folks that do the professional war gaming for the army are very good at what they do. And I got to think that they don't take any guff from, from the uniform members, because a lot of the people that run the war games are actually civilians. Um, yeah. You know they might be veterans. You know high command veterans. I had uh, uh, Doctor James Starrett on uh, a previous episode talking about professional wargaming, and he's he's a retired lieutenant colonel, for example. Hmm. So <clears throat> I I would hope that the the powers that be are are if they are using these well I know they're using tools similar to this, but I would hope that they're they're using it in the in the fashion that that's intended but you know rich that is a very important point that you bring up you know the you know the emotional aspect uh of what it is we do isn't isn't addressed enough i don't think i don't think we prepare ourselves emotionally and psychologically and dare i say spiritually for the things that we do and i could have a whole episode on that and you know trying to reconcile what we do with our own uh with our own set of morals and our uh in our uh society's morals you know is, is a is a contributor to ptsd and uh that's something that fortunately most of us don't have to deal with when we're pushing little cardboard counters around on a map or a, a stand of figures or what have you. Mm. But that that's a topic for another, yeah. for another episode, yeah. I'm sure. But anyhow, now that can I've I, thoroughly depressed I, everyone, please yeah, Nick, I, go ahead.
2: Yeah. Um, Cause I think that's a really good point there you've made there. And, I, and I'm my, my feeling is uh, I don't know if you other guys would agree with this. The best war games are immersive experiences where, you, you know, you come out of a a, a crease like the one that we played, you know, where people. You know, I, I couldn't sleep that night after that oh, or after that oh, intense no. experience running that game. I, I, was, I was awake most of the night. I know that most of the players were. I know that Fraser, who was who was in who was given the command of, para, of parachuting onto a defended airfield, um, you know, you know, I know he described it as being the best game experience he'd ever had. Full stop. Um, and it's very immersive. The best figure games, you go through a, you know, a, a, an exciting defense or attack, you, know, you, you really get so caught up in it that, it that that you invest emotionally in what's happening. And for me, for sure, that's a massive, massive uh, reason why these games are so powerful. Uh, and it's, 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 I don't know, did you guys find that?
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, like I said, it's, it was the most emotionally impactful experience I've had. In a in a recreational war yeah. game,
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think we well. have to be aware of that as well. Don't we? Yeah,
3: I, I, the Quite same. True. I I lost a couple of nights of sleep, not not in a bad way. It, as you say, it's just because I couldn't stop thinking about it. Early on in the planning phases, I was. Very excited by my spreadsheet, and I just, I just couldn't stop thinking about gliders and tugs and airlines. And then, and then after the game itself, it was just the level of excitement and um, immersion. I think you said there, Nick. It was. Um, I I don't think I've ever experienced that in a figure game because I think you might have said earlier in in this conversation a figure game. You're just focusing on on one bit, one small battle, and then it's over. It's not sort of the the whole build up and the whole event and everybody involved. It, it, it's just hugely immersive.
2: Yeah. And I think that gives you a massive appreciation of what of what the real guys went yeah. through. Simon, you should tell us about your experience on the train when you and I were doing the air.
3: Yes, I had uh, I had a conference with Air Marshal Lard while I was on the train from Birmingham to Nottingham, coming home from a, from a work assignment. And um, and I, I, I think you correctly described him as as a dick, didn't you, Nick? <laughs> I, yes. and, D- I, D- and, was, yes. and he went through a long explanation. I could see it coming of bullet point after bullet point, and I knew the one was coming. And you're not having any more gliders. And I, could, and I, just, I was just, I was muttering under my breath, and people were looking at me in the carriage as I was <laughs> whacking these keys in annoyance at this Air Marshal. <laughs>
2: i mean yeah you know, simon was simon was uh, rightly really quite emotional about that and angry and then a few days later after the game i was reading something about the the um the british airborne divisions experience at arnhem and I've, i copied it to simon because it was basically uh, the conversation that he and i had had on while he was on the train, was exactly the same conversation that these guys had had for the real event, and it just gives you an appreciation of what it must have been like to try and plan or be involved in an, an operation of that size. So these things open your eyes to history in a way that actually yeah. other games don't do. I know, you know, I'm a massive fan, as you can tell.
1: Yeah, can I can I just jump in there? I mean, I I, I would suggest. To anybody listening in, they might think that we're suggesting you know throw away your toy soldiers and get out your maps because that is the future of wargaming. And I'd say no, that that's that isn't what I what I think because I I I love um, playing games with toy soldiers and the visual splendour of uh, of beautiful terrain. But as an experience, I think that this is just something that takes gaming to. An additional degree that that maybe people wouldn 't have considered, so it 's either something that you should say, "I want to put this on my wargaming bucket list, or maybe it 's something you say we want to run a campaign using this mechanism and actually fight some of the actions on the tabletop so mm. I, it's, I, think, uh,
3: I think that's a great point there we've talked a lot on this call about um, discord in relation to Kriegspiel, but I think discord is a way to enhance gaming in, in general the, the ability to bring people together in remote places. Um, yeah, you know, campaigns by email never really taken off because email doesn't really work that well, does it? But I know mm-hmm. the role-playing games community has been using Discord and another app called Roll Twenty for, for a number of years now. And I think in figure gaming, it could enhance campaigns. It could enhance sort of remote player figure games um, in you know not just Criegspiel.
0: Yeah, one thing that I'm the yeah, one thing sure. that I'm going to be experimenting with, uh, I think, with Discord is an imaginations campaign set in the early 1800s and Mm -hmm. I'm definitely wanting to use discord and maybe do some grand strategy, possibly uh, using, using uh, more of a Kriegspiel type uh, set of mechanisms, but the actual tactical combat, uh, you know, just play out with, uh, with commands and colors, Napoleonics, for example, Mm -hmm. it's easy to set up. I don't have to paint figures and, you know, as as Henry Hyde and I have proven, we can play it over uh, online, remotely. Uh, you know, we can do it on YouTube if we want to, and you know, people can follow along with the campaign. And uh, I, I think there's a there's a rich vein of potential to mine uh, with you know using yeah. Discord and using Creechspiel and using other game systems to get the full strategic operational and tactical uh, avenues all uh, you know, get all three in, in one overarching campaign without having to travel long distances and, and that sort of thing. So I, I think there's definitely potential there uh, for some really good experiences.
2: Yeah. And, and that's not really, uh, and that's absolutely, that's, that's that's great. And I think what you're talking about there, using command and colours to resolve your actions is fine. I mean Kriegspiel as as written, a pure Kriegspiel does allow you to resolve the actions as well. and so, you know, you, you could use it that way. But why wouldn't you yeah, use it as a way to Um, Give your campaign some background. Imaginations is great. The thing I think that really, really helps all of these games is a really Mm high-quality map. The the maps that we've used in the three games we've done online so far um, have all been authentic, uh, high-quality, fantastic pieces of, uh, of art. I mean, we use real maps. Um, so you know, real maps are generally pretty good right for uh, for for anything involving um any kind of directions or battle planning so use the best quality map you can uh, to help your players engage in in the environment you're setting them in
1: yeah one one of one of the things that i'm very keen to do um is to use it uh, for a campaign at, at low level counterinsurgency. Now, low level counterinsurgency warfare often doesn't ever generate the type of action that you would want to put on a tabletop. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody, somebody throwing a, a a hand grenade in in the in the back window of a chip shop um, because they they want to upset the the local authority doesn't create a good tabletop war game. But when it comes to allocating resources be they you know police or uh, militia troops or um uh, when you get the when do you get the army involved to assist the police that type of game could happen using discord where you're responsible for i don't know a county or a state or whatever and that's the type of thing that that opens doors onto the type of uh, wargaming that just wouldn't happen otherwise right absolutely
0: um yeah, that could be. That that could be a very interesting exercise, and in, in the type of thing where you might, you know, you that might yeah. be a persistent thing where you know you don't say, well, it's going to last this long or it's going gonna... like, to.
1: There would be no no necess- no necessity for a resolution sort of three hour battle with that. Exactly. It would just be an ongoing campaign until the political situation changed, which meant that the, the low-level counterinsurgency died out or the counter, the, the um, um, you know re- rebellious people won the war. Right, absolutely. Um, so that, like, that type of thing could be that ongoing absolutely. planning exercise at a slightly lower level of the type that you guys experienced, but it just would go on and on and on. And yeah. that would give, give an opportunity to to look at that, that type of warfare that otherwise doesn't really fit into a a tabletop wall game.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you really wanted to, to explore that space even further, it would be a lot of, uh, well, it'd be, it would be every, every dimension, you know, you would be, there'd be some diplomatic issues involved. There'd be social, social, economic and religious issues involved. And I mean, there's, there's great potential there for sure.
2: Yeah.
0: So I think
2: and and also if you were to doing that, Richard, I think what you would say is, you know, if you had a security committee, for instance, if players were members of a security committee, yeah. then then you could have general traffic going backwards and forwards using the text option yeah. in discord. And then every so often you bring them together into a security meeting and they could actually have that using the voice channel. And then you'd have it almost as if it was a proper meeting, uh, and then they break up and do their own thing after yeah, that. Yeah, so, so you've, got you can... a, you've
1: got a joint. What you've got effectively is a jock. You've got a joint a joint operations command where all the security yeah. force elements come together, be they police or army or air force or whatever. But then they they have their once a week meeting, which you could almost do with an open open comms <laughs> where people talking, and then they go back to their own little rooms and then deal with their subordinates
2: yeah exactly
0: yeah fascinating yeah they're, they're the the potential for this type of tool with what we're wanting to wow. you know any type of conflict simulation is is pretty pretty impressive um and i and i gotta hand it to to you nick and rich for taking my Cobb's suggestion and, and running with it and really really seeing where you can go with it so i you know, like I said earlier, it is one of the best experiences I've had. Uh, Mark Simon, your your thoughts on just this this past two weeks ago?
3: Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Really enjoyed it. One of the best gaming experiences I've ever had. And I think I think as well as the immersive Kriegspiel type thing, you know, the ability to to play war game. Um, yeah, a lot of us, even in the UK where we're close to each other, I'm, I only play a war game every couple of months. Um, and the ability to bring people together to play a game on an evening who aren't, who aren't geographically near each other is, you know, it's just a really powerful tool. And we should think more about how we use this um, more creatively, I think.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. And I think also, um, there's something in there as well about player expectation that we still need to get right. And what I mean by that is um, we were very fortunate in this last game, Simon, that y- you know you agreed to take on the role of blue commander without knowing what it was that we were going to drop <laughs> on you. Uh, and so we gave you a week to plan. We gave you the same length, of plan, uh, same length of time to plan your operation as the guys had to plan the Arnhem drop. And, of course, there was just you and Dale doing the planning for you. So, you know, you worked pretty much full time uh, on making that plan happen. So I think we we must, as umpires and as game organisers, be very clear on the expectations that we are putting on players um, because I, I don't think even I knew actually how much work that was going to be for you. Uh, and, you know, it was, it was watching you plan and sharing your planning, was a, was a wonderful and, and enlightening experience. And I'll really take my hat off to you for the hard work that particularly the blue guys put into to their planning, but also everybody who played in the game, you know, really put their whole selves into it. And some people have never played on a Discord before. Uh, people picked it up really quickly. The The whole nature and friendly nature of people was wonderful. We are growing a community of gamers that, that you know, uh, hopefully we're going to have more people coming on board. I don't know if we can handle bigger games or not. I think we're really feeling was that we we're very much at the limit of what we can handle. Mm-hmm. But we can certainly do more different style games. Um, and, uh, yeah, really, really hope we can get the best out of this, whatever the best is. I don't really know yet Where what, what we can do with it. Or, or you know, somebody else come up with an idea and do something completely different with it. But it's there's a lot of potential there and we should embrace it. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. Um, well, gents, I think I think this has been a very good conversation. I, I certainly appreciate y'all taking times out of your Sunday afternoons to uh, to come on and chat with me, and just to let the listeners peek behind the curtain a little bit. We did have some technical difficulties, so it's going to be a, a monster of a, of an effort to, to get this thing edited, but I, I think it's going to be worth it. And this is a conversation I think is going to be worth revisiting, you know, once you know nick and rich once you get through you know four or five more iterations of this thing and you branch out into less traditional types of games and see how you know just see how the process is holding up and see how it's changed and and whatnot and um i'm just looking forward to seeing what happens next uh, you, nick you mentioned a, a community of gamers um that are kind of revolving around this now and i i can see kind of like a rotating cast of characters throughout the games and and possibly starting splinter cells and uh of their own and you know maybe they reach back to the yeah, to right. the mother game or <laughs> to the mm-hmm. you know and, and maybe they they all feed into a larger persistent lard war two and <laughs> uh,
2: well you it could do that and the thing is it could handle that couldn't it you could just open the gate on something and and set the parameters you could refight the entire war almost
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i i i'm really <laughs> excited about all this and i'm really looking forward to seeing what i can do professionally and uh, for for the benefit of 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 my guys my gaming group that you know we get together twice a year and you know it, it might not be something that we would want to spend a weekend doing together, but it might be something that we'd want to do you know in those months that we don't get together also. so well gentlemen, uh, any any last thoughts as as we go around?
2: Because actually this could be something you can dip in and out of you know if you have a really if you run this on a leisurely timeline, you can dip in and out of it with your decision making and gaming. Um, so it doesn't need to be an intense. You know, three-hour activity or one-week activity. It could be a, it could be something you do as you go through and, the week. I think that'd be a lovely way. And to it. the
3: game doesn't have to be like this one was an intense planning one, certainly for the blue team. But I think the first one you did, Nick, was um, it, it was only a couple of hours of planning, and then we were straight into an evening of the battle, weren't we? And so you, you know, yeah, you, you yeah, can pitch yeah, well, it at well, different too. levels. Yeah.
0: Rich, final thoughts?
1: Uh no. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's just interesting. The world is our oyster. Almost we can. Uh, all we need to discover is where where we can go with this, and it opens up so many opportunities to enhance w- w- the wargaming experience. I mean, at the we'll we'll just as you say, we'll wait and see. We'll see where we get to with it. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, I just had a.
2: And Jay, I would just like to say thank you to the guys that have been the lab rats on mm. this. Um, and who have learned, you know, we're all learning together.
0: Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm really looking yeah, forward perfect. to, like I said, where where this might go, and uh, talking about a larger war and, and whatnot is, has brought to fore the idea of convoy operations. Yeah, yeah. That would be, that could be a pretty, that could be a pretty intense, uh, oper- or a pretty intense experience in its own right, for sure, so... Well, gents, I think we've, I think we have, uh, talked, talked enough. And if, if you have a Jaffa cake nearby, I would definitely recommend <laughs> tackling it as quickly as you can and making sure no one else gets it. Cause damn, those things are tasty. So <laughs> gents, uh, Simon, Mark, I appreciate you, uh, your thoughts, uh, I'm looking forward to talking to either one of you again on on any number of other topics. Uh Rich and Nick again, always a pleasure to have y'all on. Uh I was glad to uh to hear Nick talk to uh I was glad to hear Nick talk to uh, Henry recently and I haven't quite gotten into the uh your your episode with with Henry Rich, but uh I No, I've not listened to it yet. So I have t- no
1: idea what I said.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Don't bother listening. He says the same thing he always says. Don't, don't, <laughs> <guys."> you don't. <laughs> let, let your dog listen first.
0: <laughs> Fair, well, my lawyers are still going through the. That, t- that <laughs> might be that might be cruelty to animals, though. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: um, so, real quick, um, just one last plug: the twenty eighteen Lardy Magazine is out as we speak. It is it's a tremendous value. I highly recommend it. Um, and the thing about the Lardy specials and the Lardy magazines is even if you don't play Lardy games, there is something for you to enjoy in that magazine and, and it's definitely worth checking out. So uh, gents again, one last time, thank you very much for coming on and having a chat. And on that note, as always, if the war you're having, isn't any fun, you make it fun. That is all. <laughs> The Veteran Wargamer is copyright J. Arnold 2019 Music courtesy of freemusicarchive.org